You might look at successful YouTubers and think they got lucky, but sometimes it's a process of learning. I feel like I was just posting random videos, not necessarily the best videos, not necessarily the videos that people wanted to watch. So I was just creating for the sake of creating, but I think we should always switch our minds to what people want to watch and whether that really matches with what you want to create. Maria Harmer reached 1 million subscribers on YouTube in two years, but that's only part of the story. She had five failed channels before that. In today's episode of Creators on Air, Rory shares the strategies that she implemented to grow her channel and monetize. So basically I started YouTube in 2016, so I was 15. So it's wow. basically like seven years ago. Yeah, I was watching a YouTuber and I thought, it's so cool to become a YouTuber, let me become one. And then next day I published the video, I remember that. And then since then I created like four channels and this channel should be my fifth one. Yeah, this is my fifth channel basically. So it's been seven years. Um, during those like seven years, only probably three of them where I was super, super consistent and I was like really dedicated in it. I really wanted to become a YouTuber, but I didn't know any strategies or any tools to make it happen. But during the lockdown, I decided, okay, this is going to be the last time I'm going to try and we're not going to give up. Even this takes like five years, 10 years, we're going to become a YouTuber and we did. Nice. I love, I love the commitment to the journey. <laughs> so what do you think it is about this channel that was different to the other channels? Like, was there previous lessons that you took from the other channel to help with this one? What changed? Definitely like everything, to be honest. Like I learned so much by failing four times and being a joke <laughs> to my like, you know, classmates and everyone was making fun of me. But I learned so much, to be honest. I feel like I was just posting random videos, not necessarily the best videos, not necessarily the videos that people wanted to watch. So I was just creating for the sake of creating, but I think we should always mm. switch our minds to what people want to watch and whether that really matches with what you want to create. And if you can find that match and if you keep improving, then eventually, of course, your videos will get watched. I love that. So how did you figure that out for yourself? Like, how did you find out what other people wanted to watch? So actually, <laughs> I said that, but sort of <laughs> the videos that I wanted to create versus the videos that people wanted me um, in the beginning was very different. So basically, my first viral video was about being half Japanese, half Turkish. And a lot of people followed me because of that, like cultural differences and language related stuff. But I knew language video was going to get views, but that's not what I want to create. But I'm going to still mm. do it and then sort of like lead the crowd into the things that I want to make. So I guess that's something that I did differently this time. I knew the areas that I'm really good at and I can bring a lot of value in it, but I'm not really necessarily interested in it because I wasn't learning languages because I was passionate. I did them because I had to. So slowly I sort of changed people's mind and then sort of made them adapt to my content. It, it, it took a so long time, to be honest. Like, we're still doing that. I'm still yep. like trying to convince people to be interested in self-improvement every day. <laughs> but I feel like that's actually a really hard thing to do. Like I know so many YouTubers who have had like viral videos yep. and it's almost been, I don't want to say they're downfall, but it's been really hard to recover from because then yep. the videos they do want to make don't do as well. So how have you managed to do it? Because you have loads of videos that aren't about learning languages that are, you know, yeah. surpassed like millions of views so how have you managed to bring that audience along for the ride I think the important thing is basically like understanding the bigger picture 
So if somebody wants to learn a language, sure, language learning and productivity might seem very like irrelevant. But if you want to learn a language, most people have, you know, full-time jobs or kids or I don't know, school, other responsibilities. So to make that happen, they need productivity. Like mm. no matter what you want to do in your life, if you want to learn something, if you want to try something new, you need productivity. And productivity itself is not enough because yes, you can have the best systems, but if you don't have the right mindset, then you're not going to apply that. You need that discipline too. So sort of, um, I started to implement more productivity, more self-improvement, more mindset thing into my language videos to make people realize that they actually need those topics. Because what most people don't understand, I guess, about productivity and self-improvement is that, yes, people who are in, already into that will watch your videos. But I think the game is about making people realize that actually this might be helpful. So making them realizing is the first step, in my opinion. Definitely. And I feel like there's quite a lot of well-known, you know, productivity and yep. self-improvement YouTubers. So how have you managed to stand out so that, you know, you were growing and you're not just kind of making the same video as, you know, Matt Diavello yeah. or like Ali Abdal? Like, how have you stood out? I think the, the main difference between them and me is that since my childhood, I struggled with everything so much. So when it comes to the things that I really wanted to do, like, you know, watching animes and things, I could watch them eight hours straight. But when it comes to like studying or anything, since my childhood, I always hated studying, but I've been always a good student. And there were like, so I, I guess it's like, we're pretty different. I don't want to do anything, but I still do them. I guess they're mm. more motivated than me. <laughs> and <laughs> like, when it comes to me, for example, I sometimes even procrastinate, like, you know, going to the toilet. And like <laughs> I'm gonna pee myself, but I procrastinated still, and it's a huge problem with me. And That's when, so relatable. Yeah, <laughs> and when they talk in their videos, they're like, you know, you don't procrastinate the things that you love. No, I do procrastinate. Like I procrastinate everything. Sometimes I don't even eat because I'm so lazy to chew something. So I guess mm. my difference, like my main difference, is I'm just really lazy not motivated to do anything in my life love that <laughs> and I feel like one of the hardest parts about being a youtuber is just coming up with ideas mm. and I mean you're posting so consistently as well so how do you come up with you know fresh ideas all the time what kind of is bringing you the inspiration I guess I actually also don't know why don't know how don't know why I'm so I'm able to come up with so many ideas or my notion I have like 300 video ideas that are like waiting wow. for me to create them. But I guess it's just the fact of I consume various media. So I consume, you know, Eastern media, Western media, this and that. So there's so many aspects of the same topic, so many opinions, so many discussions from different cultures. So I always have a way to sort of bring a new perspective because of that mm. like language knowledge that I have. Because even in this same like productivity genre, Japanese people think very differently than American people. And the tools that they use, the methods that they use, and the topics that they talk about is very different. So I guess how I do it is that I read books in various languages so that I can always come up with new ideas. I used to read like English books, but then I realized I was becoming like more Ali Abdal, Matt Devella, this and that. <laughs> so I decided to stop that and really read Japanese books. And there they have a lot of um, like ideas, I guess, and they make me always come up with new ideas. Yeah, mm. that's how I do I love that because you're, it also means that you're appealing to like wider audiences yeah. as well, which is which is great. And you said that you have like over 300 ideas in your Notion page, which is crazy. 
when it comes down to you know sitting and selecting which ideas actually make it to videos what are you what are you considering i usually look to the basically trends of youtube what people are interested in in that specific like month or maybe season let's say you know what people are interested in depending on the season is really different like what people want to achieve around like november december is to establish new goals like all these stuff and during summer months for example they're not that ambitious with their goals maybe before the summer everyone wants to get in shape exercise type of videos are popular but during sure. summer everyone wants to chill a little bit more so i feel like understanding that trends and season and what people want currently is the most important thing for example there's so many videos that i want to publish right now but i'm i know that if i publish right now it's going to flop and it's also important to sort of make it easier to understand for people so i think there is definitely an order of posting videos even if they're not so related and even if everybody is not going to watch those videos i feel like there's like a connection between those videos and it's even though every single video of mine seems like it's irrelevant it's sort of like the i don't know episode two episode three maybe if that makes sense mm. so can you give me an example like which ones have you really thought about okay mm. this needs to this needs to come next so for example let's say let's talk about my future videos i don't know maybe this will flop who knows but <laughs> <laughs> basically i recently released a video about how to make money online i guess so mm -hmm. And then I uploaded the video of I'm moving to Dubai video because now it, that yeah. makes more sense. Now people have understanding, oh, she's moving to Dubai because she wants to save taxes. It means that she makes a lot of money, but how does she? And then this is like the connection. And then the next right. series is going to be more about like my Dubai life, how I'm going to manage it as a business owner, med student, this and that. And this, from there, we're going to publish more time management videos because now in the vlogs i'm going to show how i manage my life and people are going to be more curious about my lifestyle so i'm going to explain that and from there we're going to branch out more and more wow i love that i didn't realize like how much thought you actually put into like okay this I, this needs to come now that's crazy yeah and your videos are also like so i mean i'm always blown away by how well researched they are and how well edited they are so how much time do you actually spend on video production so the problem with me is that <laughs> I don't, I'm not really like I'm going to work for three hours here and there. More so that I guess I'm working all the time because it's like I'm reading a book before going to bed. I'm listening to an audio book there and suddenly an idea comes into my head and I like I'm writing for hours and hours. So I actually don't know how many hours I actually work, probably all the time. <laughs> 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 but when I'm even consuming a content, let's say I come up with an idea or when I like that, specific word then I would write down and then I would start to read a book this and that so I actually don't know probably a lot of hours but I'm not really Crazy. sure and which part of the like YouTube process do you think is most important like if you only had time for like one part of it that you'd put most of your energy into so I think idea generation idea is the most important thing in my opinion because even if your title and thumbnail is awesome if nobody's interested in it nobody will click on it and even if your thumbnails suck, if the idea is so good, people will st still click on it. Yeah, no, I agree. So yeah. how often do you sit down for idea generation or is it just as and when it comes? Actually, probably I sit down every single day. I, oh, really? Yeah, I do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, that's just generating ideas or going through ideas that you already have? Both, actually. Because like sometimes I come up with an idea, but then I realize that I already came up with something similar so I think about how I can merge them and 
I also like like combining my ideas in together so that it will be different than other people's. So let's say I have like 300 ideas, but then out of these 300, probably it's it means only like 50 videos because mm-hmm. I merge them, I delete them. I say, okay, this trend is now over. Now people are not thinking this way, blah, blah, blah. So, but every single day I, I sit down and I guess I spend around like an hour every single day looking into my Notion page, wow. writing things. And I also like to like multitask <laughs> writing scripts. For example, I have a script written for a video that's going to be published like four months later. Wow. But I still did oh that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I did that. Like I write here and there and I add some parts there. So it's like really messy, the whole process. That's crazy. And what have you learned about packaging your ideas in a way that audiences will want to watch and listen? So like in terms of titles, thumbnails. Mm-hmm. One thing I understand is I think looking to book covers and book titles is really important. If the book is best-selling, it probably means that they're using the keywords that people are searching, right? So whenever I'm titling a video, I would go to Amazon and I will look into the similar book categories, Japanese and both oh. English, so that I can sort of like title my video in that way. Because I think the most important thing when you're packaging your video is that the viewer should feel like this video is meant for them. So you need to sort of like make them feel that, oh my God, this is something I can watch. So definitely not making things overcomplicated. YouTube is for general masses. I think this is also something that I really misunderstood back in the day. If you want to get numbers, sure, you can be a niche YouTuber, create niche products and make money out of it. But majority of the time, people want to get numbers. And if you want to get numbers, it means that you are talking to the like masses and masses mm. usually don't know much about productivity self-improvement or anything obviously there are intermediates and more like you know very advanced people but beginners will always take the majority so you're going to talk to the beginner so you really need to remember what you were thinking in the beginning mm. I love that I feel like it's such a different way of approaching it to what I, <laughs> I feel like I've ever come across so I, I love that that you know you've given us such a new way of thinking mm-hmm. about it um, so how have things actually changed for you in terms of challenges since being a, I hate saying it, but smaller creator to <laughs> a large creator? Like what has, what has been, what's different about it? Like what's changed mm. and especially in terms of what's been difficult. So whenever I post a video, when I was like more smaller channel, it was everything, everything was fun. Just getting views, just <laughs> people commenting. Everything was so fun. I love that whole process. But now that I'm like, paying people and getting sponsorships, this and that. And I have this, I created this brand every single time I post a video. Now I have like this anxiety of, oh, is this going to get views? If not, oh my God, is my career dying? So I actually decided to create a faceless channel. Um, Oh, no way. Yeah. And I'm not going to announce that (laughs) to anyone (laughs) else. And I'm just going to create it because I really want to like share the things that I want to do without really worrying about numbers. I'm sure it's yeah. going to get like numbers in the future, but I really don't want to like tie it to like sponsorships, this and that, so that I won't get nervous about performance, I guess. Now, every single day, I'm stressed. Like, I love that stress, but at the same time, it's definitely not a peaceful place. Definitely. And you mentioned um, sponsorships. So, how yeah. do you currently approach sponsorships and negotiating? prices for that so how i do approach is that whenever i come across a problem so this is actually something i've been doing for years is that let's say i have a problem and then i think about a product that can solve it and then i google it and usually somebody else already came up with it 
because obviously they're probably smarter than me. So, and then I find that product all the time. Like even before YouTube recommendation, this and that, I would always come up with like, let's say I need a water bottle and I want to carry that with me to school, but it's too yeah. heavy. So what would I do if I would be an entrepreneur? I would create like a foldable, you know, water bottle that is really light, that is easy to move on. And then I looked at it and there there are so many water bottles like that. So I purchased <laughs> it. So when I'm approaching sponsorships, I think about a problem and then how, how I would solve it. And then usually a brand comes up and then I use it for a while. And if that if I like it, then I would approach them or sometimes they approach to me. And that's how we work. When it comes to the sponsorship rates, I guess it really depends on my mood too. <laughs> <laughs> how much I want that sponsorship. Like if I really, really, really want to talk about in that specific video, because also when it comes to the sponsorships that we select, I come up with a video idea and then potential sponsorships while I'm idea generating. So I will, oh, right. yeah, I will have lists of like five to 10 sponsorships and then we will reach out to them. And if one of them replies, we would like make that sponsorship into that video. And then the video will be very seamless. But if they're not necessarily very like connected, then I would charge more obesity. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do sponsorships quite regularly then? Like, yeah, uh, I do. do you have a, do you have a cut off for it? Or are you thinking like, okay, I don't want to annoy my audience too much with this. Like, how do you approach that? I did. I actually, I guess there was a time I uploaded four videos and then three of them were sponsorship. And people were like, I understand, Rudy, you want to make money, but isn't it too much? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right. So right now I decided to sort of like take two to sponsorship, two to three sponsorships per month and publish four to five videos. So okay. yeah, like 50% would probably be the ideal number. But in the future, I want to decrease it to like 25% of my content being sponsored posts. Mm. And what are your other revenue streams as a creator? So currently uh, we have Google AdSense, basically YouTube, um, and then sponsorships and then affiliate marketing a little bit. And now recently I published a Skillshare class, but it doesn't really count that much because I just released a language related Skillshare class because I don't want to talk about languages anymore. So it's like an end sign. Like, this is the end. We're not going to talk about it anymore. If you want to learn it, go there. <laughs> <laughs> and Love then that. the last one is coaching. I'm actually starting a YouTube coaching, a small group coaching, and then maybe eventually an online course that I would create. So that's the another stream. I love that. So, how did you decide how you're going to monetize your audience? I mean, I always wanted to talk about YouTube because I'm a huge YouTube nerd and <laughs> like I have like this viral video library in my brain and if somebody would talk about this viral video I'm quite sure that I know that video and I've watched that video and I've already analyzed that video. I watch YouTube a lot and I love YouTube so much so <laughs> that's definitely something I always wanted to do when I was watching like Patty's course I was like I want to be Patty so much like I'm going to be Patty yeah. but I'm going to be different <laughs> than them but I'll be Patty. Yeah. So I guess that's another reason why I want to create a faces channel because a lot of people mm. say, oh, you know nothing about YouTube. It's all because you're young, attractive female, this and that. I mean, sure, it will help, obviously, but I don't think it's the only thing. And I want to sort of like prove that, but it will be a fun that. process. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And are there any um, of your revenue streams that surprised you or like there was something that you just weren't expecting with them? Mm, I guess YouTube AdSense in a bad way. <laughs> really? Yeah. I guess the difference between the Western like YouTube world and then the Japanese YouTube world, for example, is that Japanese people make 
the most chunk from YouTube AdSense rather than sponsorships. But in the Western YouTube, it's more like sponsorships and then less YouTube AdSense. All and right. Because Japanese YouTubers are crazy. They upload like every day. Some of them upload like five times a week. And then three oh, times wow. a week is like the standard there. And because it's such a small market, I mean, Japanese speaking people, it's really easy to target people. So you will get a lot of views compared to your subscriber count. In the West, it's the opposite. You will have like a million subscribers, but you will get like what, 100k, 200k views. In Japan, you will have like 50k subscribers, but you can't get like consistently 300k views. So they make a lot of money from views. And when you do a lot of sponsorships in Japan, it's really a bad representation almost. People don't really like it. So I, I start, it really like surprised me the difference between those countries. Yeah, I have no idea that's, that's what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever worry about that? So, I mean, you mentioned like having, you know, you've got like a million subscribers and then your view count is like yeah. a lot lower. Does that ever stress you out or is that something that you worry about? Yeah, some I guess so, because I know the days that I wasn't getting views and for my YouTube career, that was the majority. So I feel like always like, oh, one day I'm going to wake up and nobody's going to watch my videos. We're going to go back to those days. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also remind myself that I can always start a new channel this and that so yeah what was the yeah. question <laughs> <laughs> if you worry about like your views drop like not matching your you know like subscriber mm. count i guess in the western youtube world there isn't a really a formula some people say it's 25 percent. some people say if your channel is getting bigger it's 10 percent of your subscriber count and we do hit that with most of the videos and even if it doesn't hit like those view counts i sort of like train my audience <laughs> to watch them <laughs> so Right now, no, but I don't know in like three, five years whether we will get those views, to be honest. Mm. And you said that you have people that you're working with as well, that you've hired. Yeah. What was your process for building a team? Like, how did you decide, you know, who to hire, what to hire for? We actually don't work full time, like neither of them. So I have two people in my team. One is my editor, he edits my videos, but he's also, he works like a freelancer because he's also a YouTuber. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's actually, he has actually decent subscriber amounts, but he's also a YouTuber. And then I have my um, sort of like partnerships manager. Um, she manages all the sponsorships. She does all the communications and like these invoices and everything. So yeah, we have, I guess, we're three, but they're not full time. Okay. And how did you find an editor that, I feel like finding an editor for YouTube is really, yeah. really difficult. How did you find someone or train them to kind of bring your own vision to life without you know compromising what you'd already built i didn't even train him actually the funny thing is oh, really yeah I, I i tried to find a good editor for a year and a half but then i gave up and i started to edit my own videos i guess till 700k or maybe 600k i was editing my own videos wow. then he suddenly dm'd me and said i can edit your videos and then i was like hmm, okay and then he edits one of my videos and it was really nice i didn't even say anything but he got it everything right and I was like let's work together and now we work together that's really lucky yeah <laughs> um and how important have your other social media profiles been for YouTube or are they like just a secondary thing I guess like for Instagram it's more so like I post whatever I want to post and I definitely want to make it more systemized and actually create content there too because I feel like Instagram has a huge potential but I personally don't use Instagram that much so for example I'm a firm believer that 
to be a good creator, you need to be a good consumer first. Mm. So for YouTube, I can apply that. But for Instagram, because I don't use it much, I don't really understand what people would like to see from me on Instagram. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to do on Instagram recently. And on Twitter too. I actually just started using Twitter recently. I didn't even know what the hell people were doing on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, no way. Um, And what else is next for you then? I guess for next... I will probably start publishing, not publishing, but like posting more often on Instagram. Sort of like shift once again my YouTube niche towards more self-improvement. Yes, sure. But like plus lifestyle content more. And then like just ditching the li- ditching the languages because it's enough like I don't want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> love that and what advice would you give to someone who feels like their channel is failing mm-hmm. and they don't know whether to like keep going with that channel start a new mm-hmm. channel they're not really sure what directions to take or whether they they should even be a YouTuber I mean it's always good to analyze everything so I would recommend like asking yourself what type of YouTuber you want to become and then why and then ask yourself whether you can keep talking about this stuff for the next five years. Because if you can't shut your mouth about that topic, then probably you should talk about it on your YouTube channel. But if you get bored about it, if you will get bored about it in a year, then you probably shouldn't pick it as your niche, maybe. And the another thing is watch. And then like after deciding your niche, the topic that you want to talk about, pick like five YouTubers that you love and then completely analyze their ideas, thumbnails and then scripts. One thing I actually recommend people doing is that copying the transcribe of their videos and then literally analyzing their script, how they do their hooks, how they introduce every single topic, and then see a pattern. Because once you start to analyze 10, 20, 30 of their videos, you will realize some like patterns, maybe that they don't even realize. So you will start to come up with how to write hooks, how to write the video script, and then how to sort of make people engaged and offer new ideas and this and that. And also with the thumbnails, actually, I have a video on it, how to grow on YouTube, I guess. There's like a video on it. What I would recommend is that whenever you're going to talk about a topic, search it on YouTube and then find people who got who their like video overperformed for their channel size, download their thumbnails, five to 10, put them in the middle of note and then analyze the pattern between all these thumbnails, find the like the same thing in them and then do it on your thumbnail and then improve every single time and keep doing this and then you'll probably have good videos that's really good advice I like how actionable it is as well (laughs) it's like generic like oh keep going it's actually like really solid advice there Um, I'm going to end with a quick fire round so I'm going to ask you five questions I ask every creator that comes on air starting with what's your favorite thing about being a creator freedom and money (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty (laughs) and what's something that gives you the most inspiration for what you create books definitely books okay nice and what's a tool that helps you the most as a creator notion and a millanote nice yeah millanote is really good i feel like that's a new one that's really come on the scene um what's something that helps you with your creator work-life balance coffee probably (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say if you have a creator (laughs) probably i don't (laughs) (laughs) and what's one piece of advice that you'd give to other creators so not necessarily just youtubers Mm don't just keep going i don't really believe you should keep going then in like two three years you will achieve that type of advice always analyze if your video is not performing enough and then solve that problem and then keep doing that Mm, i love that answer that's such a good one 
Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on air. This has been such a fun conversation. I love talking about YouTube as well. So it's so nice. Of course. If you're a creator working with sponsors, check out Passion Fruit. We help you to streamline the entire workflow. I'll see you in the next one.